Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online. If you're joining us there, uh, we want to welcome you as well. And uh, we know that uh, it's sometimes we, we have to uh, do things a little bit differently, and we're glad that you can join us on live stream. Um, for those that are in the room here, uh, let's dive in. And uh, I, I have some audience participation to start out with. So I'm going to want you to, to uh, embolden yourself in these moments and, and uh, speak nice and loud, even if the answer is wrong. I'm, I'm not going to do anything too hard, but, uh, but it's okay if you get it wrong. Uh, this is just, I'm, I'm just testing something here. So I want you to finish a couple of phrases here. First up, with great power comes... All right, we've got Marvel fans in the building. I like that. Uh, yeah, the, that's the, uh, the Spider-Man uh, kind of phrase that his Uncle Ben speaks to him, and so we all kind of know that one. What about, uh, <laughs> here's a favorite around uh, our house any time of year, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is... Oh my gosh, I can hear my, my family <laughs> real loud over here. Yeah, that's from the movie Elf. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's the, the Code of the Elves. I think it's number three. Um, how about this one? Let's finish this phrase. We hold these truths to be self-evident that... Wonderful. Good. That's, that's an important... That's, it's more important than the best way to spread Christmas cheers singing not for all to hear. You know, it's just, you got to keep that one in mind. How about this one? I believe in God the Father Almighty... Okay, good. Maker of heaven and earth is, is how that phrase continues. That's from the Apostles' Creed, which we're going to talk about in a little bit here. You hear something enough, and it starts to stick. It forms the way that you think, the way that you see the world around you, the way that you relate to it and to other people. And it's worth thinking through, what are the statements that form us as followers of Jesus? We're talking about essential beliefs in this message series that we're calling Grounded. And you're probably familiar with the parable that Jesus shared in Matthew 7 where he said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What we build our life upon is important. When adversity comes our way, if we have a set of beliefs that is solid and true, then they will help us weather that storm. Likewise, if we're building our life or our faith on sand, pebbles, unsteady ideas instead of the truth, then we may find ourselves broken and rebuilding time and time again. The series is about being grounded in Jesus. What are the essential beliefs that we confess as followers of Jesus, and why is this important? As Brent shared last week, when we look at the Bible, which we believe is the authoritative and inspired word of God, there are three categories of beliefs we should remember. And while Brent started from the center of the circle, I'm going to start on the outside and kind of work my way in here. So some of our beliefs can be called opinions. This is the outer circle. Uh, Maybe... The Bible doesn't say much about these things. Maybe the Bible isn't clear on them, and most of the time they're, they're pretty inconsequential. An example might be the number of wise men that visited the baby Jesus in Matthew 2. 
There are three gifts, but we're never told the number of wise men. Um, so whether it's, it's three, which is kind of traditionally held by Western churches, or 12, which is held by Eastern or Syriac churches, um, the number of wise men is not a vital part of following Jesus. It's certainly nothing that, we should, that should draw a line between me and other followers of Jesus. A higher level of beliefs that we might classify as important, uh, important beliefs. These are the beliefs that the Bible speaks about, but which have been interpreted differently throughout the history of the church. Uh, an example could be the nature of hell. We all believe that hell is a very real and eternal destination for those who have not put their faith in Jesus. But there's, there's many different views on what hell could be like. Um, and, and we can hold to kind of our, our beliefs or our convictions about what it is and what it looks like. Um, and they're important matters. They have consequences. But we can probably still disagree on some of the finer points and, and hold fellowship as believers. At the center, though, these are the essential beliefs. On these, the Bible is clear, and these beliefs are most important for us to grasp and confess as true. This is why we have a statement of faith on our website. Uh, To state, for example, what Brent talked about last week, we believe God is the creator and ruler of the universe. He exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are co-equal, one God. In the early church, belief was summed up in creeds or creedal statements. Scholars believe that the earliest creed was simply Jesus is Lord. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says that, um, has Paul teaching, So I want you to know that no one is speaking by the Spirit of God. No one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse us. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So to say Jesus is Lord in uh, Rome was dangerous. It was treason to say that anyone other than Caesar was Lord. It could mean persecution, torture, or death. But that's nothing compared with the love of Jesus, freedom from sin, and the hope of eternal life. And so Christians confessed, Jesus is Lord. Romans 10 uh, talks about this a different way. Uh, The phrase was important to the early church. In Romans 10.9 it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it revealed a deep conviction for followers of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for someone to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Our essential beliefs could be described as creeds. And creeds serve a couple of purposes. First, creeds help us to keep our essential beliefs in mind. Oftentimes, a creed is a brief, authoritative formula that kind of sums up Um, our belief. And that can help us internalize those truths. It can help us remember them like we remember some of those statements at the beginning. I grew up in a church that used the Apostles' Creed regularly. So just about every week we would say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, The third day he rose again from the dead, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God, Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, meaning universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. We would say that just about every week, and the effect is is that I I have it memorized. Um, I know it by heart. And so each phrase of that is a reminder of a summary of an, an important truth. 
Um, it's not everything. You could unpack each of those statements, but, but it reminds me, here, here are the basics. Here is the core. The Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed are the most common in churches today, but creeds were used by the first century church and can be found throughout the New Testament. Another way that creeds can help us is they help us discern which ideas or philosophies are true and which are not. Creeds were used by the early church to combat false teachings. I'll share a first century example of this in a little bit, but today, anytime you hear an author or an influencer of any sort describe God, if you need to compare it against what we know and what we believe. So if you hear them describing God as some sort of kind of unknowable cosmic force or, or Jesus is just another great historical teacher in line with with some of these other uh, big figures of, of history, you probably should be wary of what else the influencer might be teaching because those ideas do not line up with the loving, just, relational, powerful, miracle-working, all-creation-redeeming God that we see in the person of Jesus Christ in the Bible. So, going back to the, uh, the three circles uh, real quick here, one more footnote on this. Um, we don't start with our opinions, and shape those inner circles by them. It goes the other way. We, take, we start with the, the important statements, and, and we work our way out. So the essentials should determine what important beliefs that we have. The important beliefs should form our opinions, and not the other way around. To do so would place our judgment, our opinions, our desires, our idea of justice, at the center of what we believe. It should go the other way. In Jesus' parable of the wise and foolish builders, the foundation of our faith is obviously Jesus. I don't know if you noticed, but we sang songs about Jesus this morning. We were trying to tie that in with a message. We were like, I don't know, what, what songs should we sing? Let's, let's sing about Jesus this morning. Um, these essential beliefs that we have then are, are, are kind of like the walls or the frame of the house. If we're building on Jesus as our foundation, the essentials are kind of like the, the frame of the house. I was having lunch with another pastor uh, this week, and, and he, he started going through this. Like we, we, we tend to spend all of our time when we're designing uh, a house or when we watch these design shows talking about you know, the, the space and the, uh, the paint and the color scheme, and, and is it a warm or is it a cool, um, and what kind of fabrics are we going to have in here, and, and all these kind of design choices. But, but those, are, those are the outside things. Like, the, the core, the really important thing is, how is the house built? What are the bones like of this house? Um, opinions are the last thing that we should worry about if our goal is to build something that will last and protect us from storms. We have to focus on the essentials. My NLT study Bible had a great quote on this. said, Christians spend too much time and energy debating non-essential details and too little in learning the essentials well. We want to put our focus on knowing the essentials of our faith well and build upon that. All that being said, let's look at who Jesus is, according to uh, the Bible. Um, We're going to start with a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. It's in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. And, uh, And it goes like this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. This is such an important question, maybe the most important question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus? Our statement of faith says the following about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is co-equal with the Father. Jesus lived a sinless human life and offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all people by dying on a cross. He rose from the dead after three days to demonstrate his power over sin and death. He ascended to heaven's glory and will return again to earth to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. I was going to go through this kind of line by line and... and show you where we get all these ideas in the Bible, but you can and you should look for yourself. Under our statement of faith on the website, you'll see a list of passages that uh, will help you find some of these uh, sources. And uh, we'll, we'll put this up here for exactly three seconds so you can take a picture of it. Here we go. Three, two, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll leave it up for a bit. But again, go to newcovchurch.org slash what we believe, and, uh, and that's where all these, these passages are listed. By the way, uh, Romans 1, 3 through 4, that's another phrase that uh, scholars think is, is kind of a creedal statement. Um, and, uh, and we're going to dig into 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4 in a little bit here. But I, what I do want to do is tell you why this statement of faith matters. As Brent shared last week, we believe in one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is called the doctrine of the Trinity. Jesus is not less of a God than, than God the Father. He is co-equal. Jesus glorifies the Father. The Father glorifies Jesus. They share the glory of God. In John 10, uh, Jesus tells a crowd, I and the Father are one. So he's saying we're co-equal. We're, we're equal. Um, so, of course, uh, in the passage when he's speaking to this crowd, he says, I and the Father are one. And it says, again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. He was used to uh, kind of saying things that, were <laughs> that could get him in trouble. Um, Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? They answered, we aren't stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. The crowd couldn't believe that Jesus was God, even after seeing him heal the sick, give sight to the blind. Interestingly, the early church had the opposite struggle. They believed that Jesus was God, but some didn't believe that he was man. In their book, Jesus Then and Now, uh, Richard Burridge and Graham Gould write that in John's letters, it's easy to identify a bitter debate within the church about who had the right and wrong ideas about Jesus. In 1 John 4.2 and in 2 John 7, John suggests that the test should be If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, then that person has the Spirit of God. That person has the truth. It's believed that this confession, uh, that Jesus came in a real body, was designed to combat something called Gnosticism, which maybe you've heard about. In the first century, uh, Gnosticism was a set of beliefs that taught, among other things, that everything material, uh, everything in the material world is flawed or even evil. Spiritual things were, were pure and were holy. Therefore, Jesus could not have been truly in the body. They believed that he was God, but they said he, he would not have, have put himself into the, the flawed um, or even evil uh, body, material body, uh, because that would mean that Jesus was flawed in some way. But this leads us to another mystery of faith, just like the Trinity, where we can't fully 
uh, explain out how it works that God is three in one. Jesus was, is fully man, and is fully God. He's 100% God, and he's 100% man. How can this be? Because that, I know math, and that doesn't add up real well. Some have reasoned that Jesus had two natures. When he was tired or hungry or thirsty, those were his human nature. But when he healed, when he multiplied the loaves and fish or calmed the storms, those were his uh, divine nature, his God nature. But <laughs> I read a great article this week that said, what, how, how do you separate that out fully? Because take, for instance, when Jesus walked on water. God doesn't have feet, but Jesus does. So that's the human part that's doing the walking on water. But humanity, to my knowledge, other than Jesus and, and Peter for a little bit, uh, have never walked on water. So that's, that's divine. That's miraculous. So you can't pull the two apart. You can't say sometimes he's acting as God, sometimes he's acting as man. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. How that works out is a mystery, but it's important to understand that he was both. Why? It means that we worship a God who has walked in our shoes. As John 1 tells us in the message paraphrase, he put on flesh and he walked among us. He's familiar with hardship. He grieved with his friends. He felt pain. He's known the depths of despair and darkness. He was abandoned by loved ones. He was nailed to a cross. He bled. He died. He experienced life on earth from birth to death, fully human. But also, Jesus healed disease. He commanded nature. Most importantly, he rose from the dead. He showed that he is fully God by putting death to death. Jesus is fully God and fully man. So, our statement of faith says, again, uh, he's the son of God. He's co-equal with the Father. He lived a sinless human life and offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. These, these sentences kind of play out how Jesus demonstrated that he is uh, both uh, uh, fully God and fully man. Um, and, and they really closely parallel uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, which is likely another creed or essential teaching of the early church. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, uh, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And by the way, that phrase, according to the Scriptures, it, it means in agreement with the Scriptures. They're referencing all these Old Testament teachings that say that these things are going to happen, and Jesus fulfills these. The fact that Christ died for our sins means that Jesus himself was without sin. It doesn't say that he died for his sins. It says he died for our sins. The, the, the wages of sin are death, and so the fact that Jesus died, he's dying for someone's sins, but not his own. He was sinless. So he died for our sins. The fact that he was raised from the dead, just as the scriptures said he would be, means that Jesus was fully God. And all of this, as Paul says, is of first importance. I got to admit, uh, <laughs> maybe you're hearing it already, I, I had a hard time figuring out how to talk about all this because, uh, you know, do I go through the, the statement line by line? Do I talk about the development of how the church has, has come to understand or believe what we believe? Do I start with Jesus' birth, his miracles, his death? We could spend a Sunday exploring each of these passages uh, or each of the ideas in this statement of faith, and they all support each other. They're all kind of tied together, and so it's hard to talk about one without the others. 
But I will say one thing. Um, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 to give this amazing uh, defense of the validity and the importance of the resurrection. The resurrection is the linchpin. And I know we're all familiar with that phrase, but (laughs) because my mind wanders while I'm studying, I said, what is a linchpin again? And I did a quick search. And if you get an old wagon wheel and you put on the the wheel and and, um, everything, there's this pin that goes through the post to make sure that the wagon wheel doesn't come off, to make sure that everything stays where it's supposed to be. That's, That's the linchpin. The resurrection is the linchpin. It's the event that holds in place everything that we believe about Jesus. Paul goes on to write that if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we can't be raised either. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then our faith is useless. Then we're helpless in our sins. Then Jesus could not have been God. He could not have been sinless. It it all falls apart. But the resurrection is true. Jesus rose from the grave, connecting all the dots, fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets, offering his life as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and thus saving us from sin's power over us, making a way for us to be with God and live eternally, initiating a new kingdom and redeeming the cosmos, giving us a hope for the future. It's true. The story is true. And, uh, and I would love to say more on that, but uh, I don't want to keep you for hours. Um, plus, we have uh, someone who's going to talk about uh, the authority of the Bible and, and how we know this is a, a true uh, testimony of, of things that happened. So, who is Jesus? A few, a few takeaways on who Jesus is. Who Jesus is reveals a loving God who desires a relationship with you. The infinite creator of all things lived and died as a man so that you can know him. He's not a distant, unembodied, malevolent, or unaffected force. He's our comfort in the chaos. He calms the storms. You can know him, and you can experience his love for you. Who Jesus is reveals a faithful God who never leaves us. Behold, he told his disciples, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's an important thought when we feel alone when we feel like we've, we're lost. He's our compass when the road feels long. He's with you no matter what you face. Nothing can separate you from his love. Who Jesus is gives us hope for the future. Jesus is our future, and he's redeemed our past. No matter the circumstances, a day is coming when Jesus will return, when heaven and earth will be one, and we will be there with him. Over and over in the New Testament, we're told to keep watch, not as a warning, which some people seem seem to take it that way, but, but as a promise. He's coming soon, and his reward and his justice will bring never-ending peace. Finally, who Jesus is shows us a better way to live. He wasn't lying when he said he had come to give us abundant life and set free our captive hearts. Look at the way that Jesus, the God-man, lived. He served others. He he put aside material things and wealth. He rescued us from things that can hold us down. When we look at Jesus, when we read and remember his teachings, we can know joy and peace that doesn't depend on circumstances. So, relationships, relationship, uh, covenant faithfulness, hope for the future, 
and freedom and forgiveness from sin. Jesus gave his disciples and us a practice that reminds us of all these things. And that's the Lord's Supper. Um, I want to invite the worship team up. Uh, They're going to present a song that's going to kind of prompt us to think through who Jesus is. Uh, And we're going to have the the hospitality team in a second here uh, pass out the elements um, of communion. Uh, Communion or the Lord's Supper is for anybody who's put their trust in Jesus. If you've put your trust in Jesus, then then take the bread, take the cup, and hold on to it, and we'll take it at the end of the song together. Uh, quick testimony of, of mine. I, I accepted Jesus uh, when I was 16 at a Young Life camp, and I remember it very well. I remember being uh, just torn apart and, uh, and, and just at the same time overjoyed with the message of forgiveness. I knew there were some things in my life that weren't right. I knew there were some things that I was hiding from those I loved, and I knew in, in those moments when I was 16 that Jesus saw those things and he loved me anyway. And he, he was the only one that could give me forgiveness. He was the only one that could bring me um, out of, of what I was dealing with. Only Jesus. And I put my trust in, in him and I experienced a deep sense of his forgiveness and love. And I was convinced then, and I'm still convinced, that the most important thing in my life is following Jesus. The most important thing that we can do is to follow Jesus. That's, that's the linchpin, right? That's, that's how our faith grows, how we, how we bless the world around us. When we celebrate communion, it's a reminder of that forgiveness. It's a reminder of Jesus, the that, that Jesus was fully God, that he was fully man. This is my body, this is my blood. Jesus is giving us a symbol to remind us of who he is and that we share in that. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, let's take a few moments, and as the, as the worship sing, uh, team sings here, let's reflect on what it means to trust in Jesus and all that he is and all that he has done for us. Let's, let's worship in this way.